with that said, let's, uh, let's talk about the book of Acts. Now, this is a bittersweet day for me because uh, we've spent 27, 28 weeks studying the book of Acts, and I have learned a ton. I don't know about you guys, but I have learned a ton. What I wanted to do, just to kind of summarize the book of Acts, and I've got a shorter teaching for you today, even though we're covering two chapters in Acts, I wanted to play a game with those who are 16 years old and younger, if you're willing to play 16 years old and younger. And here's how we're going to, this game is called Knockdown. I used to play it when I taught in, in school. Uh, so if you're willing to play an Axe trivia game, if you think, okay, I've, I know Axe, okay? And in addition to that, there is a prize. I have two one-hour passes to the trampoline park that I will give the winner. Okay, the trampoline park is uh, Extreme Air, and if you've ever been there, you know this is really fun. So two one-hour passes, you and your friend can go for free for an hour if you win this trivia game, okay? So if you are 16 or younger and you want to play, all you got to do is stand to your feet. If, if there's only one person, they automatically win, huh? Okay, stand to your feet if you want to play. All right, now here's how this is going to work. Oh, I get more participants, if it, Okay. All right, good deal. Josie's going to play. All right, so listen. What I'm going to do is ask a question, guys. The first person to shoot their hand up in the air, I'm going to call on them. They're going to answer the question. If they answer it correctly, they get to pick one other person that's standing up and knock them down. All right? The last, the last person standing wins. All right? Last chance. Last call for participants. Anybody else want to play? Jeremy, you can't play, okay? Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? To whom was the book of Acts? Michael. Theophilus. Theophilus is correct. Knock somebody down. Noah's out. Darn. My own son. See how it's going to be. All right. This is a tough one. This is going back to early at Acts 1, Acts 2. Who took office, the office of apostleship, that was formerly held by Judas at the end of the first chapter of Acts? Yeah, Ian was in. Mattathias is correct. Knock somebody down. That is in, very impressive. Oh, man. All right. So we have one. Yeah, exactly. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. We have one, two, three, four still in, okay? Now, there's this other thing that I like to do when I play this game, and that is I throw out the question and I say the word floor. When I say the word floor, those who were previously in but got knocked down, this is your opportunity to jump up and spit out the answer. If you get the answer correct, you're back in the game. You got me? Okay, but I might not do it on this one. What Jewish festival was occurring at the time the Holy Spirit appeared? Yeah. Shavuot, a.k.a. Pentecost. Knock somebody down. Megan. All right. We've got Megan, Josie, and Hannah still in the game. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Ian, Hannah, and Josie. And who? Oh, yeah, these guys here. They're, they're, they're below the radar. That's a good strategy. Good strategy. Okay. Here's a good question. In the third chapter of Acts, Peter and John were involved in the healing of a man by what was called the beautiful gate in the temple. All right, I got to stop. Do you know the answer? Do you know what the question was? 
<laughs> okay, so if you raise your hand prematurely, you don't know what the question was, you are silenced this, this question here. You can't answer. So I'm going to finish the question now, and now you're frozen, okay? So what was the man's problem? Four. Yeah. He was paralyzed. Good. You're back in the game. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, judging the apostles, stated the following? Leave them alone. Yeah. Gamliel is correct. Ian, you're out. All right. So we got these two guys. We got Michael, Josie, and Hannah. I'm just making sure everybody knows who's on the game here. Okay. This was the first martyr of our faith in Acts 6 and 7. Yeah. Stephen. Stephen is correct. Uh oh. <laughs> Hannah's so nice, she's going to be like, Does anyone want to volunteer to be out? There's always Does one of them. <laughs> all right. I've got all time. Okay. Are we ready to move on? You get somebody yet? Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, that's kind of orange, but okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Sorry, man. Sorry. Notice she's leaving Michael for later. She's like, I'm going to come back and get him in a little while. She's toying with him. What vision, or I, was, I should say, what was in the vision that God gave to Peter before he met? Yeah. It, wait, Peter? Yes. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't say anymore. You got it. The sheet with unclean animals. Knock somebody down. Okay, who's... Uh-oh. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. Uh, hmm, I think of a good one here. Who was Paul's initial, or first, missionary companion floor? Got it, Ian. You're back in. No, no, actually, you're wrong. Nope. Who was Paul's first traveling companion? Floor. Floor, floor, floor. <laughs> Nobody knows? Oh. Noah. Nope. No. Okay. Nope. All right, we're going to move on to something else then. Barnabas. Barnabas. What? Who said that? Yeah, but I said floor. You're still in the game, though. It didn't really count. Sorry. Oh, but I'm going to ask a different question for those standing. So, sorry. Where? Where in Jerusalem? So who do we have in? Hannah? What's your name again? What is it? Wyatt and Josie. Okay. Where was Paul when he was seized in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21? Where was he, Hannah? Was he at the temple? He was at the temple. Good. Knock somebody out. And Wyatt. Josie and Wyatt. Yep. Mm. Tough choice. Very tough choice. No, she's asking for volunteers now. Who wants to sit down? Nobody's gonna want to sit down. They all want to win it. Five, four, three, two. Okay, Wyatt, you're out. Okay, Josie and Hannah. Here we go. What are the three names for our movement mentioned in the Book of Acts? Floor. Megan. It's incorrect. Floor. Three names for our movement. Floor. Stand up and spit it out. 
away the Christians and the Nephilim. You got it. You're back in. Uh-oh. Okay. Let me ask a good hard one here. Name the island on which Paul shipwrecks in Acts 27. Is it Patmos? No. Malta, knock somebody down. <laughs> Hannah's down. Yeah. All right, who do we got? Michael versus Josie. Michael versus Josie. You ready? Michael versus Josie. Who wrote the book of Acts? Michael. Luke did. All right, give it up for Michael. He is the winner of today's game. Michael, come here. You want it? Michael, come claim your uh, come claim your passes here. Good job. No, I'm taking him. Yeah. Yeah. Take me. I'll do the ninja course there. So what I wanted to do today, as we finish up the book of Acts, is um, Acts 27 and 28. I'm going to read those two chapters, offering just a little bit of commentary in between. And then I'm going to go through and read a categorical, categorical list of lessons that I learned from studying through Acts. Okay? Can we do that? So go to Acts 27. Yeah. Who was Paul's first Barnabas. Yeah. Acts 27. And there's a map behind me here that you can try your best to follow along with. If you can see, the font is not too small. And my Bible, I'm reading from uh, a different Bible. I'm reading from ES, an ESV Bible because it just reads a little bit better than uh, the complete Jewish Bible is a little bit clunkier to read. So I'm going to read this today just so it flows more narratively. Acts 27, Paul set sail for Rome. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea. Now notice Luke is here now, right? Luke is present. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friend's and be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the, the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along, with it, uh, coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast, or Yom, Yom Kippur, uh, was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship, than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. 
running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the uh, Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was lost and abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I urge you to take to heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And, before, and behold, God has granted you all those who are still with you. So take to heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, at about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty-four fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors and from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship had, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes and the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take, on some, take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in this suspense, and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from your head. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and he gave thanks. He said, Baruch Adonai min And he broke it, and he began to eat. And they were all encouraged, and ate some food for themselves. There were 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now what's interesting about this ship is it's probably an imperial grain freighter. Something like this in the picture here. Um, and it's got nearly 300 people aboard. Probably sailors, probably prisoners, and probably slaves. And then it's got a load of grain in it. Probably... Uh, grain that was exported out of Egypt. And this grain is going where? To Rome, right? Eventually it's going to make it to Italy. But I think it's very fitting here that they're throwing that physical grain overboard. And what's going to happen? Paul is taking the real bread of life, the word of God, and it's going to be imported into Rome. You see what's happening there? Now verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, so the ship, uh, uh, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, and lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. See, Paul is so concerned with uh, innocent life, isn't he? 
um, even, even I, I would say, guilty life here. He's so concerned for justice that they await their trial, that he preserves their lives. The rest on the planks or on pieces of the ship, and so it was that they were all brought safely to land. Chapter 28. You guys ready to finish up Acts? Yeah. Paul on to Malta. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now, let's picture this. What does that remind you of? Remember the fiery serpents? Yeah. The people of Israel are in the, the wilderness, and they're being attacked. The, the, the Hebrews, we don't really know how to translate it, but it's something about fiery serpents. Maybe Paul's mind shot back to that story. And what was the remedy to that? Do you guys remember? Erect a staff, a pole, yeah, with, a, with a, a serpent on it. And everyone who looked at that was healed, right? When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds, and they said that he was a god. See the fickleness of man there, right? Full display. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who had received us and entertained us hospi hospitably for three days. It had happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and with dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, which was a cont contagious disease, by the way, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island had, dis had diseases, also came, and socially distanced. No, I'm just kidding. It says they were cured, right? They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whoever or whatever we needed. Verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Now, your Bibles may say who these twin gods are, but it's probably the gods of Castor and Pollux, which are sons of Zeus. And the, why are they there as a figurehead? Because they're there to kind of protect the ship, so to speak. Those gods are looking after the ship. Putting it at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patuli. And there we found brothers. These are, these are believers and followers of Messiah. And were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius, which I believe is 40 to 50 miles away, and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Now this is a, uh, you got to remember, there's this before the, lands, before the time of live streaming, right? These people, in order to hear Paul speak, they got to go see him in person. They're traveling great distances. I'm reminded of um, the last time I was in Uganda, and actually pretty much every time I go to Uganda, whenever I go speak at a congregation there, um, you know, there's like half a dozen congregations within a couple hour drive of each other, and I'll speak at one on a Saturday, um, but there, there are people who will travel from a neighboring congregation um, to come see me speak, and then I'll go speak at their congregation the next day, like on a Sunday or something. And there are always people who... Uh, when I go out to the village or something and I speak at a congregation in the village, 
there are people that traveled from a long ways just to get to that village. And they came for Shabbat service the prior, the prior day, but they knew I was going to be there the following day. So it happens every time I go. They will spend the night in their synagogue building, which isn't, they don't have screen windows, they don't have AC, like they just, it's there, there's mosquitoes, they're sleeping on the ground. Can you picture us all having a notable person coming tomorrow? And some of you traveled a long ways, you know, people from Florida, Mariana, here in the room, in, in different places. And so we decide to just, you know, sleep on the chairs, except we're going to roll the doors up and kill the AC. But it's, it's deeply honoring when they do that to me and for me because I'm there and they, they had, you know, you could tell they're kind of sleepy. They've been sleeping on the floor. Um, they maybe didn't eat breakfast, but they knew that I was coming and they want to honor me as a guest. And so they're there to do that. And that's kind of what's going on here is that Paul is a very notable person. Um, you know, one of the, the greatest, most learned Jews of the time who I believe likely sat on the Sanhedrin. And he's coming to these little towns and people are coming from out of the woodwork to come see this great rabbi speak. So what verse was I on? 16, 17? After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered over as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me free, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. What is the hope of Israel? Messiah and the resurrection, right? Um, and they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, the sect of the way, right? We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Yeshua, both from the Torah of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others did not believe. And they dis disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, saying, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but you won't understand. You will indeed see, but you will not perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and then I would heal them. Verse 28, therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. It reminds me of the story of Joseph, doesn't it? Does it you as well? Joseph's own brothers betray him and he becomes a savior of the Gentile world, the Egyptian empire. And his brothers come to him, Joseph, many years later and they can't even recognize their own brother who they betrayed. They can't even understand his language. It's kind of what's going on here. Verse 30. So he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, with all boldness and without any hindrance. So Emperor Nero has a problem on his hands. <laughs> he just let 
one of the greatest Jewish apologists into his empire, into his capital city. And he's given him free reign to speak to whoever, to write letters to whoever, and to share the gospel amongst his kingdom. Now in the year 64, which is about 10 years after this, the problem, let's call it, of Christianity is going to grow so big for Nero. It's going to be so problematic for him that there's going to be a fire in the slums of Rome, which many historians believe that Nero actually set himself to clear some space for his new palace. And then he's going to blame it on the Christians, and he's going to start one of the greatest persecutions against Christians in the Roman Empire ever experienced. But we are sitting in this room today 6,000 miles away from all those events, and 2,000 years later, because of the hard work of that man that we just read about, Amen. that we just finished reading about. Now, we don't know, Acts doesn't, Luke doesn't include how Paul is going to die. But through church tradition, we know that eventually Paul was beheaded for his faith. And that is astounding to me, and I'm going to go through some lessons here that I learned for uh, reading and studying the book of Acts. But you would think if anyone would deserve to die, anyone deserved to die of old, old age and natural causes, it would be our friend Paul, right? He suffered so much in his life, didn't he? But that's not how it goes for him. But I, I've got some lessons I want to go through, and I'm going to divide them up by category here. And um, just bear with me if some of these sound a little bit heady. Just I, I can print this list out. I can email it to you. I can text it to you, whatever you want, if you want a copy of this list. But before I go through it, these lessons that I learned from Acts, I want to tell you that this is not all-inclusive. All right? There are so many more theological, doctrinal, historical lessons from the book of Acts that I could include in this list, but I didn't. But for the sake of time, these are some big ones that I learned while studying the book of Acts. First one, let's talk about the Godhead. The God of Israel desires that all men, Jew and Gentile, would come to a saving knowledge of Yeshua of Nazareth, and in so doing, be a covenantal member of his family. God is one but also made manifest in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we saw continually throughout the book of Acts, works to gather and unite the covenantal members of this family and the family of Israel. The Holy Spirit works to convict the hearts of men, all men, in hopes of turning some of them from their sin and to the ways of God. From time to time, the Holy Spirit empowers some to supernaturally cross linguistic barriers in order to facilitate the spreading of the gospel of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit continually points the believer back to the written word of God by offering conviction when one, one of God's commands or the principles behind them is broken. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit is writing God's law on our hearts. The believer, you and I, are baptized in the Holy Spirit upon our acceptance of Yeshua as our Savior and our Lord. Let's go on to the category now that I'm calling the Torah. What I learned about the Torah from the book of Acts. The Torah is a written document that contains many moral injunctions, both positive and negative. The study and the practice of which should lead us to Yeshua. Yeshua never abrogated the commands of the Torah, but rather revealed and expounded to us the inner dimensions of an original intent of many of the Torah's commands. The Torah is equally applicable to both Jew and Gentile. Even though the Torah has written commands that can be followed, there is a propensity for the adherents 
to entirely miss the deeper principle of the command. And this is usually symptomatic of a prideful heart and an unregenerated self. More than any commands of the Torah, this is from studying the book of Acts, Yeshua seems very concerned with our treatment and interaction with our fellow human beings. Now I want to move into a different category that I'm calling names and identity. Through studying the book of Acts, the adherents of our faith are frequently called three things, the Nazarenes, the sect of the way, and the Christians. Any of these titles are appropriate when describing yourself as a follower of Yeshua. The early followers of Yeshua saw themselves firmly planted within the religious framework of what we now call historic Judaism. And as a 21st century Messianic congregation, us, we should do our best to worship in a first century, world, a century way and see to ourselves as, in some ways, scooting a chair up to the table of historic Judaism. Our potential answers to the question of how to walk out certain commands should include a survey of how the Jewish world has, for 3,500 years, sought to answer that same question and apply that, that same command. Now I'm going to move on to a different category called Gentiles. Because that was a big theme in the book of Acts, what to do with the Gentiles. Remember that? Gentiles, or what we say non-Jews, aka non-Jews, have a place in the age to come. And the only thing they must do to secure this place is to repent of their sin, confess Yeshua of Nazareth as their Savior, and live according to his example and his teachings. Now, resurrection was a big theme in the book of Acts as well. More than any other end time or eschatological topic, the writers of the New Testament, and especially Acts, Luke, placed a high level of importance on and hope in the coming resurrection of the dead. They saw the resurrection of Yeshua as the down payment and the promise of this future event. The resurrection of the dead will be both of the righteous and of the unrighteous, and each will be judged according to their deeds. Now I'm going to talk about water baptism and immersion, because that seemed to be a big theme in the book of Acts. The early leaders of our faith placed a high value and a high level of importance on the act of ritual immersion in water. While not a matter of salvation, this ritual was considered special, special and highly encouraged if water was present and available. Now the temple, we talked a lot about the temple, didn't we? The early followers of Yeshua continued to attend and worship in the temple on a regular basis. They did not see the death of Yeshua as abrogating any of the sacrificial offerings, but rather saw them as pointing back and memorializing his death. Up until its destruction, the followers of Yeshua saw the temple as the house of God and held it in very high regard. It was the center of their faith and the center of the religious practices. Let's talk about leadership now, because we saw some aspects of leadership in the book of Acts, didn't we? The sect known as the Way was not a movement comprised of spiritual anarchists. It had clearly articulated leadership and a judicial process. The governmental body from which the government's governance emanated was called the Jerusalem Council. Do you remember that? That's Acts 15. Now let's talk about culture, because there is some interaction, interacting with, with different culture in the book of Acts. We should be aware of and able to interact with the culture that surrounds us. At times, we may even find ourselves using our knowledge of it to share the good news of Yeshua. Isolation is not the answer. 
but neither is assimilation. Let's talk about politics now, because politics was a big theme. I believe through studying the book of Acts that we should be involved in the secular political process from the national to local levels. Know your rights as citizens of the USA and invoke them when your faith or innocent human life is threatened. Be educated and be engaged. At the forefront of our priorities should be the preservation of the freedom to practice our faith in the biblically prescribed manner and to protect innocent human life. Now let's talk about one of a big category, Paul. Paul, also known as Saul, was a highly learned, observant Jewish Pharisee and the persecutor of the faith, also turned follower of Yeshua. He never renounced his faith, his Judaism, his Phariseeism, or his religious customs. Paul was an apostle of Yeshua, sent to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentile world. Paul did not see himself as starting a new religion. Paul wrote 36 letters, many of which were written during the events of the book of Acts, which became codified and preserved in our canon of Scripture. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit and should be seen as authoritative in our lives as believers. Some of Paul's writings are complex. You guys agree? <laughs> They're heady, sometimes difficult to understand without proper cultural and historical context. Readers should be cautioned when reading Paul's letters, and I'm paraphrasing 2 Peter 3.16, Paul's letters could be misunderstood, and their original intent and purpose, and they could draw us to very faulty theological conclusions. Now let's talk about miracles, because there were miracles in the book of Acts, right? And what do we learn from the book of Acts about miracles? Here's what I learned. Miracles and healing are still ongoing today. They did not end with the completion of the canon or scripture. And as believers in Messiah, we should pray and seek for which spiritual gifts we've been given and use them for the edification of the local body and the conviction of sin in the world around us. Look up 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you want more information on that. Let's talk about persecution because there was persecution in the book of Acts, wasn't there? It seems evidence, according to Acts, that living a life dedicated to the message of the gospel while living in the midst of a corrupt and godless culture will lead to your eventual persecution. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And persevere, uh, let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Two more categories I want to cover with you real quick. Demons. Did we see any demons in the book of Acts? Remember the seven sons of Siva? Yeah. The demonic realm is active, it's real, and it's constantly working to thwart the plans of God and to do harm to the children of God. Through our trust and obedience to the Messiah, we have authority over that realm and the powers that may threaten us. And the last category, and one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the book of Acts, is Yeshua. Yeshua is seated at God's right hand and will return at a time that no man knows. No matter how strong a calculator you have or how much yarn you have for your board, you don't know. Just be ready. No one will mistake his returning and he will then rule and reign as king. I look forward to that day, don't you? 
Those are some of the lessons I learned from the book of Acts. Again, that was not a comprehensive list of all the stuff you could glean from 28 chapters of this history book we call Acts. It's an awesome book, one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I thank you guys for the privilege of teaching through it this long, and I hope that you've been encouraged and edified and learned something from it. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll go to a time of Q&A. Is that okay? Abba Father, I thank you for everyone in this room that is here to honor, first and foremost, your Shabbat, and to rest, and call your Shabbat holy, and worship you on this day, a day that you set aside to rest and refresh and look back at your work and your accomplishments. And may we just honor you today. We hope this day is pleasing to you, and I hope our rest is pleasing to you. We thank you that you are a God who is concerned with our well-being, our mental and physical, spiritual well-being, that you would tell us we need a day off. I thank you for the men and the women in the book of Acts who sacrificed so much. We owe such a huge debt of gratitude to these people. May we have a faith like them in a world that is growing more godless by the day. May we be light and salt. May we continue the story of the book of Acts. We thank you and praise you for Yeshua's work. In his name I pray, amen. So guys, what questions or comments do you all have? Anything? You learned everything there is to learn about Acts, maybe? Oh, Suzanne, sorry, I didn't see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that being said, I think one other really good heading of all of this that kind of comes as a thing would be Paul, the misunderstood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And specifically, bullet points under that of what he was accused of, mm -hmm. falsely accused yeah. of, versus what he actually His own testimony. Stood for, yeah. You know, in the fact, like, that wonderful thing of where he actually went and paid for the other men to go and do the Nazarene. The Nazarite vow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that should be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is a there is a book out there called uh, Paul the Misunderstood Jew. Um, I have not read it, so I can't fully recommend it, but there is something he historical. Talking about Paul. That. It's big, it's important to do, because yeah. Any other questions? Thank you, Suzanne. Any questions or comments? Um, for those who don't know, about three years ago, three years ago this month, I taught a six-week series called The History of the Second Known as the Way. If you want to pick up where we left off and you want to learn about what happened from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem onward to where we're at today, I spent six weeks doing that, about six hours um, covering that in a very kind of uh, like collegiate kind of style. Uh, so you can check that out. There is a QR code right there. You can just open your camera and put it on that QR code. It'll take you to that link and you can follow along and, and go through the history of the second known as the way. Still to this day, I think this is the most listened to piece of audio on our website and our, our podcast thing people listen to. We have almost 10,000 uh, downloads on our, on our podcast. Did you know that? The, the four years we've been doing it. So it's awesome. Uh, 10,000 people. Well, 10,000 downloads, I should say, from all around the world. But any other questions or comments, guys? Everybody's quiet today. <laughs> yes, I Carol. I have a whole lot of comments mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed. I was repeated the book back. Yeah.
Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. What is that? Forty-eight weeks we would spend in Ezekiel, right? <laughs> That's good. All right, everybody, open your Bibles to Ezekiel. We got a little bit of time left right now. We got fifteen minutes. We'll start right now. Thank you for that. Thank you for those words and encouragement. I really appreciate it. Thank you.